Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 47 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Bumani, and I'm back again with my brothers, Clement Gibson and Ace Harold Dawson. Yes, um, great sir. to be back with these fellas once again. We're going to talk about the NBA um, basketball podcast. It's my first one I've done this month. So we're going to dive into a variety of NBA topics that we'll be really touching base on today from uh, who's going to be the top seed in the East, the Devin Booker MVP race, the Zion Williamson mystery. What does it mean to be a bust? And can L- the L.A. Lakers survive the plan? But before we dive into it, I'm uh, really going to go person by person. Uh, Clement, just really want to touch base on what you've been ha- you know, what you've been going on in your life, um, what has stood out to you so far in the NBA circuit, and what you really can't wait to touch base on during this segment. My bad, I was muted. Uh, now, always a pleasure to be on, man. You know, we go back to the at the whistle days back at Jackson State. You know what I'm saying? But uh, everything's been good with me. You know, just enjoying life, you know, post-graduation. But I'm definitely excited to talk about, I mean, and we got a good slate of uh, topics today. I, I'd say the number one, I definitely want to dive into this NBA busting because I will say my definition of a bust was completely different before I met Ken Bowie. So <laughs> he has a different standard for people, uh, which, you know, I respect, uh, differ with at times, but definitely want to see um, y'all's definition of what contributes to somebody being a bust. Yeah, that bus topic is going to be a good one. Ace, man, what's been going on in your life? I know you've been a busy man. And after you explain all that, what can you not wait to touch base on in this basketball segment? Man, life has been good. Life has been good. Um, fatherhood. Um, we shout get, out we, Harlem. Man, shout out Harlem. Man, uh, that's my baby right there, though. But uh, what else, man? We got the school in my pop's honor um, in the city. That was made. That's major. Um, aside from them two, man, just, just great things, man. Just putting everything in the right spots. And, um, what I'm looking forward to talking to, I have to say, I got to side with Clem and I'm ready to talk about this NBA bust stuff because them definitions is, uh, it's, it's about two, three of them. <laughs> man, the bus topic's going to be a pretty enjoyable one, to, uh, for the listeners to listen to, because in our own group chat, we kind of touched base on variety of us in NBA history and you know I thought Clem did a pretty good job highlighting what you call Rosa bus what you call T-Mac a bus what you call Grand Hill a bus all perspectives I never really dabbled into because you got to look at it as all of these guys were hella talented but they never had that longevity as pros so we're going to dive into that topic way later on today um so let's get into the initial topic at on hand really the Eastern Conference playoff picture it's been heating up and so Deshaun does not have the honor of being here with us, his gracious team, the Miami Heat. They've been running the East for a minute, but they're on a two-game slide. And because of it, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and the Boston Celtics are at the very least a game and a half behind first place in the East. Clem, it felt like eons ago, early in the year, Boston looked destined to be a disappointment once again. But they've been on a roll lately, and they've kind of got the best chance to make a push for that top seed. What has been the key to their resurgence so far, and what type of a puncher chance do you give them to overtake the Heat at the top seed out east? Well, before I start on the Celtics, I just want to add a shameless plug here, and you know, I don't want to rub it in or nothing, but I told you something, okay? I did, all right. 
Uh, for those who don't know, who ain't inside the group chat, um, about a month ago, about a month ago, somebody in the group chat, I ain't gonna say who it was, said that, you know, he, he wasn't sure if Boston was gonna make the play, let alone the playoffs or having a, a top four seed, the play in. Um, I, of course, rebuttaled and said that I feel like that would not be the case just because of the star power of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I know they had their rough spot and um, we're going through, you know, tough times, but you don't break up a unit like that, that are two way in their approaching their prime at that. And you have them locked in long term. You just don't give up on that. But I think defense was the thing that really uh, propelled them to where they are now. Obviously, Marcus Smart being there. Um, Robert Williams has um, been more available now, not as uh, injured. And then you also have Al Horford, who has come back. And even at his older age, is still playing like the old uh, Al Horford. And then the biggest part is trading for Derek White. You know, he's one of those glue guys. And I remember when we had this conversation about breaking up Brown and Tatum, my whole thing was I think it's easier to find a point guard that can help you know, fit in and be that glue guy than it is to replace a Tatum or a Brown. So I think uh, that trade definitely is what propelled them, gave them a uh, new look in the locker room and, you know, him coming in from Popovich school of uh, defense and, you know, uh, logic. I think that definitely helps them moving forward. And I think he's the missing piece. Ace continuing the Boston conversation. Those dark times early in the year, I think their most embarrassing loss was TNT primetime against the Knicks in the Garden when um I think, was it Fournier or Barrett? Maybe R.J. Barrett hit the game winner. And it felt like the sky was falling on the seas. Since then, Tatum's played a lot better. They've played a lot better collectively as a defensive unit. And they're really kind of breaking into that defensive-minded culture that they want to establish with the new leadership at the helm. Um, Outside of Tatum playing better, how important did you feel like it was for Boston to establish a defensive identity executed to kind of propel themselves to being one of the top tier teams in the East. Have myself mute. Honestly, um, the importance was I felt like should have been priority one from day one. Offense was always going to come into play. I mean, eventually, because it's very rare you're going to have Jalen Brown be off or both of them off at the same time. Somebody's going to be on. So. That that defensive identity is like the icing on the cake, and that's I feel like that's that you know that extra adrenaline, that extra push that's going to help them finish off the regular season. Indeed, indeed, and um, I don't know if Clem was on here for the early season, but he wasn't. Me and Ace did like a early season preview of the West, and then at the end of the Western Conference preview, I kind of put out my MVP awards to start the season. Jason Tatum was my MVP selection early on in the year and he didn't play like it until really recently and so these scoring outputs that he's had the past 13 games have been incredible 30 plus points he's eclipsed nine times um he's shooting damn near 50 percent in like almost every game he goes over 30 and he's kind of coinciding with the play Jalen Brown has had recently as well the narrative of been with Tatum has been Brown has outplayed him for the last year and a half and we wanted to see that lottery pick that all-star that all NBA caliber talent showcase itself consistently for long stretches in time. And we've seen that with Tatum. And I got to give a tip to the cap to Marcus Smart. His point guard play has been solid. He's really been their floor general. He's almost averaging six assists a game, kind of being able to get Tatum and Brown into their spots to execute on shot opportunities, as well as featuring a big man. 
Robert Williams. So they've really been able to put it all together, boss, and it's huge for them to get to where they're at now. Philly's another team, though. We're going to get to them. Uh, they got James Harden. It looks sweet early, and then they played Brooklyn on prime time a couple weeks ago, and they got embarrassed. And ever since then, it's been pretty tense moments. But they have an outside chance to get the number one seed. Clem, how entrusting are you that the duo of Embiid and Harden can work in terms of being able to pursue the top seed in the East and get it? Because I think that's going to be the big thing. One of these squads is going to have the unfortunate opportunity of maybe being a two seed, which probably means having to play Brooklyn in the first round. How can Philly make sure that doesn't happen to them and they're the top dog out East? Well, I think they're in a bit of a difficult situation because Embiid is currently fighting for the MVP award. And, um, you know, I think he's been a favorite pretty much all year, but it's going to be an even tougher case to make if Giannis finishes with the number one seed. Um, And I think that will happen. Uh, That was my choice. Who's going to come out on the top seed? I think they're ramping up. But as far as Philly, I don't trust them, man. I really don't trust them. I think that they're the type of team that's going to try to, you know, dodge Brooklyn, you know, and so that they're going to, I can see them like not playing as much or like not trying as hard so they can get that third seed and play um, um, uh, Cleveland. But it's probably going to end up being them in Toronto or a team they're not expecting to see. But I, I just think that James Harden, we see, Big game after big game, he folds. And, you know, if you go back and look at Joel uh, Embiid's history as well in the playoffs and really big games, he hasn't performed the best either. So I can see that same thing happening with them when the rubber meets the road. I can see, you know, them falling short. And we're going to be having the same story we've been having surrounding uh, James Harden. But that's my take on them. Ace, another huge thing with the Sixers is their lack of depth in the second unit. They really live and die off of the high level of productivity from Embiid and Harden. And Tyrese Maxey's kind of come along as well to kind of be that third star. Um, So how important will it be that the Sixers second unit provides some level of productivity for their postseason push? Because we all know in the playoffs, rotations do shorten. But every squad, for the most part, uses three to four guys in their second rotation that kind of come in and be spark plugs as your starters get rest. How much of a concern is that for you on Philly's aspect? And can they get that type of level of productivity from a bench that so far has been hit or miss since the trade they've made for Harden? I don't, just piggybacking off of what Clem said, I don't trust him. Um, I don't think that the bench would just all of a sudden make it click. I really feel like the pressure is falling on more so like it's still within the starting lineup. Like Tobias is forced to step up, in which he's his gameplay has been great as of late. But he's gonna have to step up in a major way. And then they're talking about a championship push. <laughs> this, this seems like a bit of a reach. So I don't think the bench. I think it's just non-existent. So you you put more pressure on your starters. I think that's the reality. Um, I think it's gonna be a blessing in the postseason if Philly gets some level of productivity from their bench. But for the most part, their five is going to really set the tone in terms of how far they go in the postseason. And like you said, Embiid and Harden have a tendency to be um, guys that fold in the postseason, and now they're together. So 
you don't want these guys to kind of come up small in the biggest moments because let's be real. This is a two-year window for the Sixers. This is it. This year and next year for them to maximize their chance to come out the East and win. And this Eastern Conference is no joke. And Clem alluded to it. They're probably going to angle their way to play the Cavs. But if they have to play the Raptors round one, it's not a good matchup because we know Nick Nurse has Joel Embiid's number when it comes to schematically forming defensive principles to neutralize him. They can throw a ton of bodies at James Harden. And now that they're kind of getting healthy and rounding at their own form with the return of Van Vliet and OG Ananobi, they can be able to muck it up and get quality buckets down the stretch to maybe pull out the upset. So that's something for sure to keep an eye on on the real. Now, last but not least, the Bucks. I think we all recognize that the defending champs have a great opportunity to make a push for the top seed out East. They're hitting their stride at the right time. Um, Brooke Lopez just came back recently. He's kind of coming off the bench that they probably try to get him in the playoff mode. Clem, they have an intriguing road trip coming up. They play the Grizzlies, they play Philly, and they play Brooklyn. And this is going to be a huge test for them in terms of their push towards maybe securing a top seed out East and solidifying their, st- their standing as true contenders once again in the Eastern Conference. How important is the stretch for them? And what are the things you're going to be looking forward to the most in terms of understanding what their mentality is going to be playoff time? Yeah, this this road trip is going to be tough. And even to add on that, um, you know, we've been hearing rumors about the Clippers and Paul George um, may be coming back, may not be coming back, but that's who they play after Brooklyn. Um, And then they go on to play Dallas, the Bulls, Boston before, you know, having the game where I'm sure they'll likely rest their team uh, against the Pistons, which is their last game of the season. But um, this stretch, I'm really going to be looking just to see the continuity between their big three. Now, we know that we've had these conversations in the chat. I am someone who believes that if you have a superstar level talent and Giannis being who I think is the best player in the in the entire league, um, complement that with veterans who have either are all-stars or have been all-stars in True Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, you know, and Bobby Portis has been playing well up to date. Um, I just really want to see them healthy and really want to see Chris Middleton get back to where he, where he was, you know, at the end of last season, where he was being able to take over games when Giannis uh, couldn't do so, but that continuity between the three of them and Chris Middleton uh, being able to improve his perimeter play and, you know, running that pick and roll with Giannis, I think that's when they're at their best. So if they can do that and get out uh, this road trip uh, with wins, which I think they will, I think they'll, you know, be in a good spot. Middleton has had a sneaky damn near 50, 40, 90 season. That's something to keep in mind. Ace, um, Milwaukee's had a linear injuries this year they've ran through bigs such as Demarcus Cousins Brooke Lopez so that means Bobby Portis has been their common five um when you look at their starting lineup in its totality throughout the year the lineup of Holiday Antetokounmpo Middleton Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis they've all averaged double figures this season um as individual scores how important has their continuity in a season of up and down has been important for the champs in terms of maintaining their identity with an infusion of new elements for a chance to repeat Very. I mean, it's, it's proven that, like, because at the beginning of the season, it was starting to look like, okay, did y'all catch a break last season? And, you know, the, the chips just fell how they may, and you got it easy. 
or are y'all really can you know consistent like that i think that that's what that's that's what proves it to me like they are they are together as a team and then getting back fully healthy uh, size matters man like having brooke back and you know defending your paint Giannis is versatile both ends so i mean I, and then Bobby Porter's man, I love like his. I don't know, like I never, I, you didn't see this Bobby Porter's until he got to Milwaukee. That's that's how I feel. This is the best version of Bobby Porter's we've seen. For sure. Yeah, he's his three points for sure. Has been great. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah he's for sure written the postseason high from last year, and he's kind of playing like how he was at Arkansas, where he was the SEC Player of the Year as a sophomore. He's really putting it all together. Has had that career resurgence and. Kudos to him because I think he found out during that playoff run, this is an organization I can succeed in. Yep. He decided to re-sign, and he's paying huge dividends off that for sure. Um, the team we're going to get to last, the guys that are still the number one seed, but they're showing chinks in the armor, the Miami Heat. Um, Clement, we all saw on national media, Jimmy Butler, Udonis Haslam, Eric Sporcher kind of all lose it as they lost to the Golden State Warriors by double digits. And this was a Warriors team that didn't have Curry, Clay, or Draymond at all. They basically got that work from Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and the, the Warriors B-League team, to say the least. Um, I looked at the incident as just a summarization of the collapse of the Heat in terms of them looking kind of the same squad as they were last year. Do you have the same worries as well in terms of offensively, they get stagnant, and they're a defensive-minded, tough-minded team, but when they kind of meet their maker against oppositions that can put points up on them, they just don't have the firepower to match it. Do you see that similar writing on the wall? Uh, I do not. Um, I think this heat, heat culture, it thrives off, I mean, if I'm being frank, trauma. Like, they're used to being the underdog. They're used to being the ones that are counted out, and they love that, and I think that fuels them, like, I think this year has just been way too lax for them. And I think that this argument may be one of the things we look at, you know, when they're on their way to the conference finals or um, which I, I think, I think they'll make it. Um, and we look back at this moment, like, damn, this is when everything flipped because you look at all the, the pieces on that team, Kyle Lowry has won a championship and played in a lot of big games and, you know, he doesn't always show up, but he's like the third or fourth scoring option. So his role is a lot different here. Um, but he can lead the team. You got Jimmy Butler, who, you know, helped lead them to that championship in the bubble. And Bam, when healthy, which he is now, like a defensive force and is a guy who, you know, can knock down that mid-range game and fills in all the different spaces on the offensive end, like on, off, as far as rebounding. Um, not a bad playmaker either. And then you have Tyler Hero off the bench. So for me, it's like I can't fathom them not getting that far when they have all the pieces you need to win at the highest level. They have the coach. They have uh, a good supporting cast. They have vets. They have defense. They have scoring, like everything. They have a nice bench play. Like I can't see them not getting to that to that point. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. At, but I, I'm I'm riding with Miami. I'm riding with Miami. I think they'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals with Milwaukee. But Ace, there's the fact that Jimmy Butler is shooting his worst percentage from three of his career, almost 20%. 9%. And 
a 9% this month, 20% throughout the season. The vibe I've had watching the Heat this year, Ace, has been Tyler Hero's been their best player. Now, a lot of it has to deal with he's been the most healthy and he's improved the most out of everybody on the squad. But we kind of all came into the season thinking Hero would be a sum of the core. And the core is obviously Lowry, who they got from Toronto, Butler, and Adebayo. I don't feel Adebayo's improved. I feel like uh, Butler has declined and Lowry just hasn't been there. And do you feel those same sentiments as well? And is it enough for Miami to say the least to have Hero be their best player, Adebayo kind of be their close second, and then those veteran core guys who they expected to kind of be the same and help push the team over the top, they're just not really there consistently anymore. Is that going to be enough to make a deep run in the playoffs? I agree with the both of y'all because like me and Clem agreed in the chat, I, I see it being Miami and Milwaukee again in the conference finals. However, um, to answer what you what you're coming at, um, I like in my agreeance with you, man. Like if Jimmy doesn't have that same type of dog that we seen when they pushed for the finals a couple years back, like it's not gonna happen. Tyler Hero can't be your best guy. I'm sorry. Like is the way his gameplay is easy to shut down. So it's either he's on or he's not it that i mean this season hasn't reflected that but overall it's either he's on or he's not and so i mean if if you can't get that dog to come back out of jimmy and the leadership role out of kyle lowry no they'll come short and let me add this i bro tyler here is not the best player on my end bro he he's probably been the most available and consistent offensively. Right. But he is by far not the best player. Like they pick on him on defense time and time again. And for me, it's like, if you're somebody who you can't play both sides of the, the floor, especially on a defensive team, I can't count on you to be the best player. Like, I mean, Jimmy's struggling, but I wouldn't go as far to say that Tyler Hero is the best player or even the second best player. i I'd say he's he's close for third, but these guys are vets, man. Like they put it into a different gear when they need to. And I think that's what's gonna happen when the playoffs start. The whole importance of the different gear that they are able to ignite to put make that playoff push, you have to show a sense of how do I put it, consistency in the regular season. And Jimmy's shot hasn't been the same since the bubble. Like he just can't shoot consistently from deep anymore. Adebayo showed flashes, I thought, last year of evolution as a player, and then he ran into the Brooke Lopez, Giannis Wall in the playoffs, and he hasn't really looked the same either. So what I'm saying from that sense is Butler does give you that versatility defensively, but the offensive firepower just isn't there. Bam looks like he continues to rely on guard play to kind of set him up to be effective. He's not the most reliable jump shooter from the mid-range. And I do, I will say this, when Kyle Lowry has been on the floor, he might be the most consistent of the core, but when it comes to being able to be a reliable source of offensive income, that's Hero. That's why I think Hero has been their best player this year. A lot of it has to deal with injury. A lot of it has to deal with their vets being really inconsistent. But I think the big thing that you know Deshaun has kept pushing in the chat, he talks about this Miami bench. It's new. It contains a lot of guys that can catch and shoot. They can slash their dogs. They kind of embody that Miami grind, that Miami heat work ethic personality but 
their second unit is really hit or miss just like their spot up shooters. And so the fact of the matter is when their defense isn't setting the tone and they have to rely on their offense to make plays, they're susceptible to get got. And the worst thing that can happen for the Heat is come playoff time, they got to play Brooklyn in a seven game series. I don't like that for them personally. I think that's why it's very important for them to maintain their number one spot. And it's never a good sign when your two straight losses are against playoff teams that don't have their best guys, where they're not able to get defensive stops or outside of maybe Lowry and Duncan Robinson or Lowry and Hero, nobody else is making consistent shots. And then you get behind the eight ball and lose. So those are all worries that I have moving forward with this squad. Uh, Up next is Devin Booker conversation. Devin Booker for MVP. It's been a popular one, to say the least, the past two days. Um, I made a comment about it or how I think it's a more of an Americanized push for Booker since we kind of all realized that it's an international three t- three player race for the award. Clint felt like I was hating on Booker shine, but I will give Booker this when it comes to his productivity in the month of March. He's been phenomenal. He's averaged 30.4 points per game. He shot 50% from the field eight times during this 10, nine game run. And they've went seven and two overall with him playing at this level uh, with L's against Utah by four and Toronto by five. Um, when he scored 30 plus points in the month of March, they're four and one. So Clem, going to start with you. I know D book is your guy. Does he belong in the MVP conversation? And if Hell so, yes. where would you have him prioritized in the rankings? Hell yes. I'm sorry if I can't curse on the podcast. Oh, I've been waiting for you to bring up Devin Booker. Um, all right, let, let's let's get to it, man. Let's dive into this real quick. Okay. So is the MVP talk valid? Yes. Now, I would have him at the best, maybe five or six. I say that because, you know, you you say that book is hype, and I just don't get that feeling. Like, I think he's more in the Dane category of, like, that guy who everybody know can hoop, but, like, he don't get that type of, like, respect as a, like, top-level player. Now, I think part of that is just, like, he's, he don't play – well, he didn't play as much defense early on in his career. He's shown much effort in growing as a defender the last two years. But I think a lot of it is just – he just doesn't have the star power that, you know, like, the higher guys up do. Because I posted today in the chat, like, he's – amongst the top four youngest guys to ever score 11,000 points in the NBA, which is a crazy stat when you think about the the three other people who did it were Kobe, KD, and LeBron, who hit the ground. Well, maybe not so much Kobe, but LeBron and and KD came out the gates averaging 20 within the first three years. They're averaging 30, you know, leading their teams to the playoffs. And I know Book wasn't able to lead, lead his team by himself. However, unpopular opinion I think that they wouldn't have made to the finals last year without Chris Paul but I think that they would have maybe cracked the top four seed or maybe five or six but I think they were definitely bound to get here with Monty Williams with Devin Booker improving with uh, um, Aiton and Bridges improving I think CP3 excelled that but as far as uh, MVP conversations I think the top three is locked um Ja has had a better overall season um, and has the media narrative behind him. Uh, But I think Book should be in the conversation because he is 
the leading scorer and arguably the best player on the best team in the NBA by far. It's not even close. So I'm not saying he should win it, but I think he deserves to be in the conversation and should be in contention for first team all NBA because he's been available all year as well. But he's definitely not hyped. Uh, overhyped at that and I don't think the media even talks about him enough because Chris Paul is that guy that gets the star power on that team and people credit him for a lot of what's going on uh, with Phoenix culture and their winning Hey, so I'm gonna be real with you on Devin I think Devin's blessing and curses in Paul and I think Paul has prevented him from getting those individual accolades that he deserves because I think the consensus is Booker's talented as heck, but Paul has helped elevate this team into a championship contender. So, Ace, question for you. How important was it when Paul went down with the injury for Booker to kind of let the league know, hey, I got the skill set, but in the past with the skill set with me, it didn't always translate to team success. Now we're putting up these efficient scoring numbers, being more of a team-oriented ex-player that's not just bioed by his scoring, and that's resulted in some wins because, like I stated before, in this month of March when he scored 30-plus points, the team has been 4-1 and overall. You read room? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. All right. <sighs> With Chris Paul going down, man, the, it, was, it was very important because now D-Book can actually show – I'm not, I'm like you said, you had the skill set, but I also know how to turn it on to another level with the same type of skill set, improve my championship pedigree. So it is, and then right now, I feel like it's crucial for D Book. I'm not going to say he shouldn't, like, like, he shouldn't even be considered uh, to be an MVP talks because he definitely put up some MVP gameplay in the month of March and stepping up with your, you know, your point guard going down. So, uh, I probably would be like Clem and have him five or six, but yeah. My only issue with having him five or six is the MVP conversation begins and ends with top three because top three are the finalists. And once you're a finalist, you are a part of the MVP conversation. So for him to be included in the MVP pecking order overall from one through 10 is cool, but I don't think that's the conversation. I think that's just the feel-good story of the league overall. And I understand they need an American-based player to replace Ja, who's out really for the rest of the regular season. So Booker's dominated the month of March, and he deserves accolades and appraisal for that. And he's going to get um, Western Conference Player of the Month for sure. But it's been a three-player international race between Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic, and I don't think – as great as Booker has been in the month of March, that is going to be usurped into being a part of the MVP conversation, which, in my opinion, is the top three. Uh, moving but, on. Can, to, I, oh, wait, can I ask you a question real quick? For sure. So, so we've had the conversation about Memphis and how they perform without John Morant. And you believe that um, they're a playoff team without John Morant. Right. With the 15-2 and two record. So let me ask you this, in, in line with that same thinking, would you say that this Phoenix Suns team, based on their record without Chris Paul, 
would you say that they're a championship contender that they are now without Chris Paul? Even though their record, their record proves that technically they are, like you say, with Memphis. Well, I don't think they're a championship. Well, it's tough. They might still be because like we've discussed off there, the West is very weak this year due to injuries, decline, and really discombobulated fits across the landscape of the NBA. So they'll have a great chance, but I do feel with Paul being there, he provides stability and takes pressure off of Booker from having to create the offense himself, which he's improved a lot on from his rookie season to now. So I guess my answer to it is they'd be in the same boat, a, lot, a little bit of a better boat than Memphis where I can see them winning a series if Paul isn't there, depending on who they match up with. But making a true, genuine championship push, you need CP3 there to get that done. If he's not, I don't think that team is constructed enough to survive long-term. Because I like campaign. I think Aaron Holiday has a chance to be a solid pro. But if they're your lead guards now operating the offense for Phoenix in the postseason, you feel a little bit better if you were the comp on the other side. All right, moving on to the Zion Williamson situation. It's been all over the place, to say the least. Um, Shams first reported that Zion was done for the year because he was recovering from his foot injury, and then Zion turned around in about two days, showed he still got the bunnies with it, and he feels like he's doing pretty well in his rehab process, showing that monster dunk that he posted on his IG story. I'm not going to lie. When that released, I was kind of like, this has been – in retrospect, a summarization of Zion and the Pelicans organization. They're never really on the same page. Clem, you talked about off air how the Pelicans have sold short Zion in a sense where they've kind of held him back. And my response to you was they've both been holding each other back. Um, how did you feel like the story Zion posted on IG is a culmination of their strained relationship and how functional do you think it could be long term for this marriage to survive? in the professional level two things one one yes i i think that video was a direct slap in the face to uh to griffin saying one showing that the fans like look i'm healthy i'm ready to play like i did my rehab i did everything i need to do you see i've slimmed up a little bit i look like i'm more so in basketball shape like i'm ready to go but obviously the news is coming out that he can't play. So I think there's just been this whole narrative like that people think he doesn't want to play. Let's go back to the beginning of his career, right? He comes out of college. He has knee surgery. He comes back, all right? They said everything's lining up. He's good. He's ready to play. They have him on this minutes restriction. Even to his first game, he hits four threes against the Spurs. And then... They take him out, like, even though they're competing to win the game. And at that time, it was like they had a little chance to make the playoffs, but, eh, like, it wasn't certain. And obviously him being a rookie and B.I. being, you know, a young budding star, they weren't going to make the playoffs that year. But still, it was, like, a good opportunity to establish trust in your star. Like, hey, I know you've had this uh, injury pass, but let's see where it goes. Like, let's cater to him a little bit and and, you know, like trust the fact that we can, you know, have him be out there and be healthy. So I think that that's just been the back and forth. It's like he gets hurt. He comes back. He's ready. They're like, okay, let's slowly get you into things. He gets in there. He starts killing. And they're, 
like, okay, well, we don't want to unleash you yet. It's like they they don't want him to be like this dominant guy now because they're scared he's going to get hurt and they won't have him long term. My thing is, if the guy's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. So you might as well see now in his rookie contract if he can sustain the NBA life. If he goes four years and he can only play 100 games, then that tells you all you need to know. He, You know what I'm saying? Like, let him go. Go trade him. Get something better. But at this this whole, like, short leash thing, like, I'm going to put you out there, but I'm going to, you know, hold you back a little bit so you can. Like, what is that? I mean, the guy's only played 85 games, right? In two years, and when he did play, we had 27, 7, and 7, bro. Like, I think people are putting him more so in the category of a Wiseman, where it's like it's going on two years now. Not only is he not playing a lot, but he's not productive. Whereas we saw Embiid, who I think this is more uh, comparable to, where Embiid, his first three years, he wasn't playing a lot of games. But when he did play, we saw the star element in him. And the same thing with Zion. He's played two years, 85 games. He's already made an all-star team. He was already uh, in contention for an all-NBA award. He was averaging 27. And you see the way that it, uh, the team played when he was on the court. Now, obviously, the defense is a, is a problem. But, like, when you have a 21-year-old averaging 27-7-7, and best sophomore seasons, um, probably since LeBron James, like, you can't, you can't just let that go. So that, that's my whole thing on it. But, yes, I, I do think there's a lot of strain there. And I think David Griffin needs to let him play and just see what he has and if he can withstand being healthy. Because if he can't, then, you know, it's inevitable what's going to happen in the next two years. Ace, your thoughts on the whole Zion situation? Um, I think they're on two separate pages. Um, and I think I kind of bought into the rumor of Zion possibly getting traded. I mean, I they possibly could be going to new identity with the new equipment, like them acquiring CJ. So you never know. You might want to build around it or do whatever you want to do there. But I'm with Clem. I think Zion is, I think he's been ready. Um, and then it just seemed like every time he was like, the timetable was nearing for him to get back. It's like something new, like he's getting an injection. He's getting another procedure something like that is coming up. So I think like, it, why I don't know, but I think that they they getting ready to shop him, or he wants out. Somebody wants out. All right, guys, welcome back. Had a little bit of a technical difficulty, difficulty rather, but we're gonna back. We're gonna address the Zion situation. Um, we're gonna bring it back to my guy Ace. Um, Zion situation in New Orleans is is sticky, um, to say the least. He's a talented player that just hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Uh, what way can he and the Pelicans rectify? his current situation helped him live up to really that number one overall pick building that he had in 2019. They have to get on the same page. They just, if they, if they want to make this marriage work, then both sides need to come together, compromise, do what you need to do and let that style out that gate. That's, that's simple and plain. I think to start off, he, we all agree he's got to lose weight. And I don't know if he is. I mean, I've heard rumors that he lost 50 pounds, but then I also heard to start the year he was 330. So losing 30 to 50 pounds is cool, but I think he's got to at least be 250 to 260, and it's got to be chiseled. The way he plays, the high flyer that he is in the air, I don't think he can survive at a 280, 290 weight limit 
because of his play style. He's 6'7". It's not like he's seven foot, 290, or 300 like a Joel Embiid with your back to the basket. You face up, you're basically a wing light type player with guard light type tendencies that's a flyer. So you need to slim down in that category. I think the good thing that the Pelicans have going for them is they're at least building something to where it doesn't feel like Zion needs to come back to stabilize the franchise. I think Zion's a guy that can ultimately, if he comes back, he's healthy, he's whole, he can help push this team to being a perennial playoff contender because Brandon Ingram has turned the corner. He reminds me of a taller DeMar DeRozan. And he's starting to be a better playmaker. He's starting to be a more cerebral scorer, pick his spots, be aggressive, be assertive. He's starting to live up to that lottery selection. Giannis Valanciunas has been a good signing for them. Jackson Hayes has showcased some development. And their guard play with um, Jose Valdro, he's been able to come in and give him quality minutes. Devontae Graham had a nice showing. Outside. And they play really well under Willie Green. So the culture's there. The pieces that they've drafted are starting to develop. I think Zion coming in is the missing piece. But... Clem, in your eyes, what's going to prevent him from being a bust? Because I, I, we're at a point now where Josh on pace to being an all-NBA selection. He's probably going to be finishing top five in MVP criteria. As crazy as it sounds, R.J. Barrett has improved every single year he's been in the league. The guy out of the top three that just hasn't been able to put it all together on the floor due to his health has been Zion. How can he turn that corner and be the high-level product player that we know he can be in the NBA? See, this is where I disagree with you because you're saying that he isn't already a high-level player, which to my my rebuttal to that is, so is 27-7-7 not a high-level player? Like, I don't understand what's the definition of high-level if you're competing for all NBA and making an all-star team at 20 years old. Like, how is that not high level? And, and that's what got us into the, you know, the, the conversation about bus. Like, because for me, obviously, 85 games in three years is not a great number. But I'm looking, I, th- I just think now this, this is almost like cancer, cancer, uh, cancel culture, like, where it's like, it's been two years. This guy's played 85 games in the 85 games. He's, he's reached a peak that most sophomores we've never seen. Even as great as John Moran is now, you're comparing their sophomore seasons like Zion had the better year. So my thing is, if we got to look at this, like if we look at the next, like if next year he doesn't perform, then I, I feel like it's safe to say like, okay, well, he's probably not going to be this, high-level franchise player that we think he's going to be. But to say he's not performing, I just don't agree with that. I think he hasn't been available, but when he is available, he has performed. And we forget, bro, the first two years of Joel Embiid, we were just talking about MVPs, Joel Embiid, two years, he didn't even play a game. The first two full years, okay? The, his third year, he played 31 games. His fourth year, he played 63 and made his first all-star game, averaging 22 points a game. Zion has already uh, eclipsed those numbers for averages in his 85 games. It took Embiid four seasons to play more games than Zion has played in his two seasons. So my thing is, where is this same energy? Because it's like, because Joel was drafted number three 
and Zion was drafted number one. Are those two picks that much to where it's like, if you play 85 games and average 27 and you're number one pick, that's not good enough. But if you play, if you're picked third and play 90 something games in four years, four years, ain't nobody saying nothing. Like how that, it just is blowing my mind. I just don't understand that. If you could please explain that to me, please. Muted, I was muted, muted, brother, but I'm back. I'm back. I'll happily explain it. Ace, if you want to jump in into this conversation as well, you're more than welcome to. So let's address the elephant in the room. Zion in 85 games, Clem, to be real with you, has proved that he's a talented-ass player. He belongs in the league. He has a, the potential to be great. But he's not a high-level, productive player to me because your best What's ability – What's your criteria in, for that, though? Please I'm, I'm finna. I'm finna. I'm finna get there. Your best ability is availability. Okay, he just hasn't correct. been consistently on the floor. If he was consistently on the floor, like an example is Derrick Rose. I, I remember we were kind of having a conversation. You're going to get to with the bus category. Um, you asked me, Clem, like, like, Cam, so your criteria is Derrick Rose a bust? And I was like, no, because D Rose for about a four or five year span showed he was a high level productive player. He met the benchmarks. Heck, even succeeded them by winning MVP rookie of the year showing everybody when healthy he was a franchise level player zion just hasn't been able to do that yet because he hasn't been on the floor enough in a two-year span 85 games in three years isn't going to cut it so what he's shown so far is he's talented but he hasn't shown enough to be a high level productive player because his availability just hasn't been consistent enough now your other statement this is important the difference between zion and joel isn't just Zion was the first pick. Joel was the third. I'm going to keep it a stat. When Joel missed three years, two and a half years, basically, Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker struggled to show that they were franchise caliber players. Heck, at that time when Joel was getting drafted, we all knew, yo, Joel was going to be out for about two years because of the injuries. Everybody was prepared for this. We weren't prepared for Zion to not be able to play for a two-year span. We all knew the injury risk, but let's be real. We were all enthralled with the size, speed, athleticism combo. We were like, bro, he's 300, but he could fly with the best of them. He'll never catch up to him. He'll find a way to make it work, and then it did. We were already prepared for him to be out due to injury because he was injury riddled at Kansas. He was never able to be on the floor. And then what helped him be to have time on his side, his contemporaries in the lottery, they weren't getting it done. Andrew Wiggins wasn't getting it done in Minnesota. Jabari Parker wasn't getting it done in Milwaukee, which allowed Giannis to come to the scene and take his spot. So that allowed him to sit back and relax and kind of enjoy the show. And then one more thing he had going for him, Philly was tanking for like four years. They got Noel. They got Ben Simmons. They weren't winning anything. Now, you could also say New Orleans isn't winning anything either, but they're building a culture. During this span, Ingram's developed. During this span, They've been able to get a Jonas Valanciunas who showed his ability. They traded for a CJ McCollum. They're starting to build an identity and a culture in New Orleans with Zion out of the lineup. They weren't doing that when Joel was with Philly. They were just trying to find as many compilation of picks as they can to, I guess, make a young and experienced super team or to package it to get somebody else. So that's really the difference. Zion, we weren't prepared for him to be out this long like we were for Joel. And Joel, what he had going for him was, the guys picked above him, disappointed. Zion, the guys picked below him are impressive. Josh finna be first team all NBA this year. RJ Barrett has improved every single year he's been in the league. So those things are working against Zion. And he's really facing time. Time isn't on his side because of the amount of impact that the guys around him in his class 
are making today? Damn. Outside of Ja Morant, who has produced more than Zion Williamson from his draft class? Because you're you're the comparison you're making to the 2014 draft class, I understand, right? Jabari and Wiggins were not performing. However, if you look back at that draft class, some may say they take Nikola Jokic over, over Joel Embiid, right? So it sounds like you're saying if there's somebody, as a number one pick, if there's somebody who is performing better than you, then that makes you a bust. That's, that, that's what I'm hearing because John Morant is, is playing better than, than um, Zion. But you can argue this is the first year he's doing that because last year they were both in the same conference. Now, mind you, his team didn't make the play uh, the playoffs, but obviously he was more healthy. But if you look at production as far as like what they did, Zion was the better player. If you were starting yes or last year, if you were starting a team, most people would go with Zion over Ja. Ja has surpassed him so far in their careers. Yes, I don't think R.J. Barrett has. R.J. Barrett doesn't even have the same expectations. Like he's the second, maybe third reliable person on this team, like in his last three years. Now he's, he is improving, but Zion has improved too from year one to year two. Obviously he hasn't played this year, but I just don't think it makes sense to me because one person is doing better than him. And this guy is doing above average, like to say that you should trade somebody or get rid of somebody who's produced at this level. Like you don't just get rid of that talent until you know for sure that it's going to happen that way. That's my thing. Ace, you're a huge Ja fan. Clem just told the world that last year, you could definitively say Zion was better than Ja Morant. If not better, they were on the same level. Do you agree with those sentiments wholeheartedly? I do not. No. Um, even, with, even with Zion playing, it wasn't like at the leadership level that I would say with that Ja has with the Grizzlies. Ja came in and kind of demanded that leadership floor general role, whereas Zion is like the attraction versus the actual voice or leader in the locker room. So even with Zion's gameplay, I don't think it would have surged or you know bypassed what Ja would have did. Yeah, man, I agree. And I'm going to be honest with you, Clem, your perspective is the complete definition of why stats don't tell the whole story. From a statistical standpoint, for Zion during that same time span as Ja, is his stats better than Ja? Of course. But let's be real. Was Zion on making anybody on that team better? Was he elevating the Pelicans to postseason relevancy, to postseason pursuits, postseason aspirations? He really wasn't. Ja last season, Ja in his first three years in the league, all right, um, or four years, four years in the league. Second year, made the play-in. Third year, made the play-in and won the play-in, beat Curry. And this year, went on the floor, has his team being able to get the second seed out west. Zion, as great as he is as a talent, as a driver of the rim of the basketball, he's not a great defender. He doesn't have creativity off the bounce when it comes to getting his own shot. Well, no, that's cap. He can't shoot is really the definition. He's not the greatest defender. He can't shoot. And you think at his size and his athleticism, he'd be a much better rebounder than he is. 
But guess who was the leading rebounder during the times Zion was playing? Josh Hart. Not going to cut it. So the bottom line is all of these elements that we expect Zion to feature at the pro level to help elevate his team, the defense, the rebounding, the athleticism, and to hopefully develop a jump shot just hasn't been there. What has been there is the athleticism, driver of the rim, Bruce strength and power. So he's stacking up and padding up those numbers, but it's smelling a lot like what Devin Booker used to be for the Suns, where it's like, okay, as an individual talent, you're padding your stats, that's good. Is it translating to winning success? It isn't right now. And until it does, I can't just say he's better than Ja. Because while Ja may not have the outlandish stats that Zion has, his play is translating into winning success for the Memphis Grizzlies almost overnight. And that's something I can't ignore. And I think this is a case of what have you done for me lately? I think we all in this ever-moving fast social media society we all live in, we tend to forget what has happened, all right? You're saying that Zion did not improve his team in any way. Go back and look at their record before he came back last year. That's the reason. Think about it. How many second-year guys do we see make an all-star team or even uh, considered for an all-NBA team? That doesn't happen. So I think we were forgetting because it's been like a year now. So it's like, okay, so much stuff has happened since then. But for somebody to be in their second year, Ja's in his second year too. And this is why I, I praise Ja too, because for a point guard to come in and affect winning the way he does, that's you don't see that every day. So Ja is special. I don't, I'm not saying that Zion was leaps and bounds ahead of him. I'm not saying that, you know, he's eating uh, uh, Ja's lunch type stuff like but I'm saying if you look at where they were ranked in the league last year I know it's hard to to compare now because of where Ja is and the position Zion's in but if you look at the best way for me though that I rank you know who was the best players that year I look at the all NBA list that's that's the best way we can look at the facts at who was ranked the best players that year and Zion was ranked ahead of Ja at the end of the season right they didn't make the playoffs, but let's not forget, they were, they were I think, seven at one point, like around the playoff, uh, or not playoff, around the, um, the All-Star break. That's how he even got the candidacy to make the All-Star game and to get to the point where he can even be considered as an All-NBA player. And you even saw in Stan Van Gundy's system, he was the, the, the main playmaker for that team. So for you to say that he's not affecting the team in a positive light, I'm like, I'm like he's affecting winning. All right, so obviously Ja won more, and Ja is the better player and has had a better career right now. I'm saying last year when uh, when they were both in the league, both healthy, Zion was ranked higher than him. Obviously, that's a different situation now, but I just think we're forgetting what this man was doing. It is not just about the stats. Obviously, defense was a was a flaw, but overall impact when Zion was on the floor the defense has to pay attention to him when he attacks they got to pay attention to him and that was being seen but I mean look time will tell as I always say time will tell it will tell indeed I guess this is my final sentiments on the Zion situation um he was so impactful that the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion on the floor had a below 500 record he was so impactful that 
on a team that we can arguably say was better than Jaws, they still weren't able to make the playoffs. Jaws' team at that time was not on the same complementary level as Zion's. We saw what Jaws was able to do with the pre-Grizzlies. They're a whole different beast now. And last but not least with the Zion situation is, bro, like, I can't reward secondary finishes. So you keep saying, oh, he was ranked higher in the all-NBA rankings. The problem is he didn't make all NBA first, second or third team either, just like Josh. So they're both in the same boat. And when the rubber meets the road, guess who will actually be an all NBA player first? Ja will. He's going to be first team for sure. So I can't give Zion that for being runner up to making third team all NBA in a season where, to be honest, I'm going to keep it a stack. He should have never had an opportunity to be that close anyway because he was barely on the floor consistently. And it wasn't like when he was there, um, they were having this surreal betterment as a team. Like when Ja was, when Ja was out, right, this year, Memphis did do their thing without. But then when he came back, they went from solid team without Ja to Western Conference contender almost overnight. Zion Pelicans went from lottery to lottery when he came back. So it's, it just isn't there yet. And I, and I understand that what you're giving credence to is the signs are there. Like the impact is there when Zion's on the floor. I can agree with that, but he's not there yet. And my sentiment with you and with Ace as well has always been, it reminds me a lot of the Devin Booker situation. Don't put the cart before the horse just yet. Let the young man prove himself that he is worthy of getting the appraisal and the elevation as a talent that he needs but he's gonna have to get on the floor he's gonna have to be healthy he's gonna have to develop and he's really gonna have to transfer his talents into winning basketball until i see it i can't just say he's that guy but i have seen it with john Morant, which is why i'm ready to say he's that guy right now so you like you like you said time will tell but i do agree with this i'm, I'm gonna ask you guys i'm gonna ask ace first what will be better for these two parties long-term Zion and the Pelicans working it out are them going their separate ways at the end of his rookie deal. I'm going to say them working it out. Um, it, it would be the only way that it would kind of like validate or rectify like if anybody had ever thought that it was you know odds or anything like that and then it will show the maturity and you know just how he's gonna handle you know being a franchise player so if they're gonna go all in on him then they just need to do it the right way is how i feel about it and then moving forward you know they see eye to eye and he's able to do what he's be the franchise player for them that he's supposed to be i think personally I think both parties just need to go the separate ways. I think you next year is the year of finality. You you see, all right, all right, bro, you're 100%. Can you survive the gauntlet of an 82-game season? If you do, do you make us better? If he only plays 40 games and it's another nagging injury again, you got to pull the plug. Now, I first guessed this. I thought they should have traded him last year, and I'm pretty sure if the Pelicans went to the Detroit Pistons and were like, look, but that first pick will give you Zion. Pelicans have Kay Cunningham or Evan Mobley. Who knows? They could be in a lot better place because you got a guy that's talented, available, franchise player. And so 
We'll see. I, I think both parties just need to go their separate ways. He never wanted to be there. We all know this. He didn't want to be in New Orleans. And I think New Orleans at this point is just saving face because I feel like at first they felt like they had to because they looked at him as the representation of their franchise having life in the post-Anthony Davis era. But seeing that Valanchunas is thriving, McCollum is thriving, and Ingram is developing, you could kind of mortgage him, get some assets back, and build a more complete foundational team to compete out in the West. And I know when I brought this idea up to Clem, Clem's like, bro, they would be stupid. But I think, to be honest, it would be the best move for both parties. Zion gets to go where he wants to go. And New Orleans can get a haul and build a full competent team that can allow them to compete in a Western Conference that honestly is having younger suitors as you look into the landscape of the league in the next four to five years. Um, before we get into the, the bus uh, conversation, I really want to get into that. I just got two, two quick notes. Number one, I, I said this in the group chat. My worry with Ja, because the, the thing is, you got to look at this thing big picture. And I think sometimes you want to get the bumps out early and let the person have the career they want or need being healthy as opposed to like a fast blow up, fast rise and a fast drop. And I, I you know, we've compared D-Rose and Ja a ton. Keep an eye out because I said these explosive guards, it's hard to play that explosive night in, night out at that size and to remain healthy. Now, everyone's talking about Zion's play games, all right? Last year, he played 61 games, okay? If you're looking at John Morant's uh, games, his first year, he had 67, second year, 63, this year, 56, and he's probably not going to play the rest of the regular season. So every year, his games are going down. This year, he's played least ga- uh, less games than Zion played last year. No one's talking about that. The year before, when they were both at their uh, um, both healthy, Ja played 63 games, Zion played 61. All right? So no one's talking about the health history as far as where it's going, the trajectory, but we'll see as time goes on. But you were talking about Brandon Ingram, and I just think it's interesting that why isn't Brandon Ingram in the bus conversation? Because we, we, we talk about, from your standard at least, this is a guy who's a second-round pick. He's never been to the playoffs. He's been the face of a – well, maybe not the face of the franchise, but he's been the best player on the team because Zion has been hurt for a long time. He got one all-star game, no in, uh, all-NBAs, like – has he really impacted winning in most of his, his, uh, his, his years? No. So I'm saying like, why, why is he not considered in the bus conversation? So that's why I really want to get into this bus because I think expectations play a, a, a big part in this. And like I said before, before I met you, for me, bus was a word like you don't say until it's all said and done, right? Like that was like the... Darko Milicic, the Anthony Bennett. So guys, for me, was a bust is like, you come into the league, obviously you're drafted high, you don't produce, you don't achieve anything, and you fall. For me, if you come into the league, regardless where you're drafted, obviously if you don't live up to the hype, you're going to be perceived as like less than. But for me, if you're producing, like I don't see you as a bust. Like for me, that just means you underperform. But 
I want to hear y'all perspective on what goes into being a bus. I have expectations, number one, um, availability, number two, and then a person's peak in production, number three. Yeah, for me, you know, here's the crazy thing, right? So Ingram was a part of that 2015 NBA draft class that featured Simmons going one, Ingram going two, and Jalen Brown went three. Looking back now, I think we can all say that might be the most complimentary piece through <laughs> early round pick selection type players in league history. All of these guys have developed into, in my opinion, complimentary stars. Jalen Brown's a complimentary star alongside Jason Tatum. Brandon Ingram, if Zion can ever put it together, he'll be a complimentary star alongside Zion. And Ben Simmons was just a complimentary piece around Joel Embiid. However, they were talented complementary pieces that were able to obtain all-stars. And I think eventually they'll be able to attain all NBA selections down the line. In Ben Simmons' case, he was all NBA defensive as well. So they never became those franchise caliber players, but they were important pieces to their franchise. This somewhat. And I think the book is still out on Brandon Ingram, to say the least. Like I said, he looks like he'll have a career aligned to a DeRozan where he'll be a scorer, but I think you'll get the best out of him alongside a point guard that can make plays and make his life a lot easier. CJ McCollum is kind of playing that combo guard role as we speak. But I think because they've all done well as complimentary stars, have obtained individual accolades, have shown that they can be reliable pieces on a team, just not those key cogs. I don't look at them as a bust say, as a Victor Oladipo, who had that one good year with the Pacers, but for the most part, he wasn't a reliable foundational piece, and he wasn't a reliable complimentary star. And a lot of that has to do with he never developed a jump shot and injuries to his name. Ace, Wait, what do you, you have think, to say about you that? Think, sorry, go ahead. You think Victor Oladipo's a bust? I do. And I, and I think a lot of it has to do with he just couldn't stay healthy, and he never really developed his game. And I think he didn't develop his game because his game was predicated off of athleticism. He had that one good year with Indiana when he got traded from OKC to Indiana. I think that was his first year there. We all thought, all right, he's going to find his way, kind of like Brandon Ingram found his way with the Pelicans. And he got hurt, and he was really never the same. So to me, he's more of a bust because he was never able to establish himself as a franchise player or – a fan franchise complimentary piece like a Jalen Brown or Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram. I mean, the guy is, he's done more than Brandon Ingram has done. And he was drafted lower than Brandon Ingram. So how is he a bust, but Brandon Ingram's not a bust? Because what Ingram has going for him right now is, I think we could all say this is Ingram's best season of his career, correct? He's 24. I think he's playing pretty well efficiently. He's the second. He's... He's putting it all together and he's not, and he hasn't even reached his prime. So I feel like at that same age, his age now to Oladipo's, it didn't feel like at that same point, the sky was the limit for Oladipo. It just felt like, all right, he had a promising year or we see talents, we see moments, but can he put it all together? It was a lot of wait and see. It was a lot of, is it fluky? I think when Ingram has been able to establish Throughout the turmoil of Stan Van Gundy and Zion's health status, 
He's come to the Pelicans and he's shown he belongs in the league and he's an all-star caliber player. I think the question now is, is he a franchise piece or just a complimentary star? I think he's more of a complimentary star. Ace, what you got to say? When I think of bus, I think of a player that never has that I arrive moment. Like, and not just saying like you, you have that rookie moment where you drop your first 40 or something like that. Like, no, like this is consistently how he plays. He's made a name for himself in the league. That's my kind of like definition of bust. I really don't never want to go off of stats or anything. Cause if that, if that's just the NBA ceiling then that's just what it was. So um, for somebody like, you know, Ja, like we, okay. A couple dunks in some good plays here, you know, game winning blocks. Okay, cool. But then you see him do it again on a consistent basis. And it's like, okay, yeah, you've arrived. I don't think I can ever call job bust. If he doesn't do anything past this time, I still can't call him a bust. He meant something to the league. He made a name for himself. So I don't think, and if we, were we debating if we call his eye on a bust? I don't I, I don't think Zion's a bust right now because he has No, not that was yeah. I was saying I hope we wasn't saying Yeah, that. we're we're not right. Nah. But yeah, that's really the my take on the bust thing. And I thought Ace hit it on the head really for it's consistency. If you're if you showcase upside and then you consistently meet or surpass it for an extended period of time, and in my opinion, extended period of time is if we go through your rookie year like we went through Derrick Rose's rookie contract and realized he the truth. And while he tailed off at the at really the rest of his career due to injuries, he survived not being a bust because he showed in his rookie tenure he was a franchise caliber, MVP caliber, build a championship around caliber player. And going back to Brandon Ingram, it took him a minute, but we're starting to see, especially these last two years, you can – Build a team with him as a co-star, as a complimentary piece. And that's something that we were skeptical of seeing in L.A. because L.A. struggled to develop their guys under Luke Walton. And piggybacking your guy with Lonzo, that's why I think Lonzo is a bust in my eyes because he never was able to fulfill his upside. It was a lot of highs and lows from an inconsistency standpoint. And while I do feel like he'll become a solid pro, he never really, in my opinion, showcased he was a franchise player. Or you could really trust him to be a guy you can utilize as a complimentary piece for a championship team because currently with the Bulls, he's been injured. So that's something we got to take in consideration as well. So do you think De'Aaron Fox is a bust? Yes and and why? <laughs> yes and why? Well, I, yes or no and why? So. Yes and no, no. I don't think De'Aaron Fox is a bust because he showed that he can lose. He's an incredible talent that has not only sur- not only lived up to his upside, he surpassed it. The issue is Sacramento just sucks as a front office. I mean, we can okay, all but Cam, we can all agree. Cam. You can't hold everybody to this standard right. and then come in and say, oh, because his 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 organization sucks. Like the guy was drafted number five. He was. Right? He's improved every year. 
He has. This year, he's he's downsliding. So he's never made an all-star. He's never made the playoffs. He's been right. the face of the franchise. So is this a guy who is living up to the expectation of a franchise player? I'd say no. So by that standard, Absolutely. he's a bust. And, and I mean, from, from your standard, from what you're saying, right? And for me, another way I look at it is like, if I was redrafting the class, would I pick the guy at the same spot that I picked, that he got picked originally? And it's, it's debatable because I think in his draft class, there's, I think, four guys, or if not five guys, who've made an all-star team or have played in the playoffs. Like, I, I just don't understand. Put it this way. Um, Devin Booker was in a similar situation in Phoenix. Now, you could say Devin oh, – oh, you could say Devin Booker wasn't a top-five pick, but he was a lottery selection. And when he was in Phoenix, he showcased off-rip. He was talented as heck. He could play in the league. He had all-star caliber skills. The issue with Booker was he was in the hell known as the Phoenix Suns who didn't build shit until Monty Williams came along and Chris Paul. And so once those guys came and recreated the identity of the franchise, you started to see what he can build upon as a player and what he can transfer into winning basketball because he was mentored, brought up, and put in better situations by a better coach and a floor general. I feel like Fox is in a similar situation that Book is, where off-road, we know, let's be real, we know De'Aaron Fox isn't a bust of a talent. He could play. He's right. improved every year he, since he's been in the league. But I think what – there's guys who are franchise-caliber players – where you could put them in any situation and they just elevate everybody. Luca, Trey, Ja. And then there's guys like a Devin Booker for a period of time, a De'Aaron Fox. And, and honestly, in my opinion, Zion to a degree, because if he was still on the floor, I don't, I don't think the way that the franchise was set up until Willie Green came, they were going to be any better where they're talented as heck. And we know, okay, they belong in the league. They match their own individual upside. They showcase that they're starting caliber, all-star caliber players. They just can't elevate the trashness of their organization. That takes an all-time great skill set to do that. It just does. That takes a Kareem to just come into Milwaukee and change the whole landscape. That takes a LeBron to come into the trash of Cleveland and to change the game. That takes a D Rose to come into a Bulls squad post Jordan, elevate them into an Eastern Conference final contender. Not everybody's built like that, but that doesn't mean they're a bust. It just means that, okay, they might not be that all time great caliber player, but if the organization is able to get out of their own way and to create levels of competency, they can showcase how productive they can be in a winning environment. Um, and that's just real. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is also another great example. He showcased early on he was a top flight draft pick, but it wasn't until Jimmy Butler came that he was able to be put in a situation where he could showcase his elements of success in a winning basketball environment. Chris Finch comes in now, along with D'Lo, along with Pat Beverly, guys that have been to the postseason and have had levels of success in different varieties and they helped showcase to him what it means to be a dog. And now he's elevated to one of the premier bigs in the game. So um, to answer your question, basically name like three different guys, 
Fox's inability to elevate his team from trashness doesn't make him a bust because what he's been able to show, unlike Lonzo, Fultz, and Oladipo, is through the ineptitude, he's the constant level of consistency, the constant level of evolution, the constant level of talent that you can build around or build upon. You just need a different culture to come in and mold it into something greater. Okay. That's a good good uh, analysis. I still think um, I think expectations sometimes weigh too much in the in the measuring of who was a bust. I just think that bust is such a it's just I think the word just gets thrown around way too much now. Like I think there's bust guys who were drafted high did nothing. I think there's guys who underachieve who are like they were drafted high and didn't meet the expectation, but they stayed in the league and they're a good player. And I think there's guys who were just drafted, you know, I don't want to, like wrongly, like I don't think Wiggins or Zoe or well, I'm not even faults even like should have been drafted as high as they were. But I still think there's serviceable players in the league. So for me, it's like that. For me, I don't think that's a bust because if you're good enough to still be drafted, like within, because if we redrafted those class, I think the the story is still out on faults. We'll see what he can do. But especially Wiggins, like his draft class, he would still probably be a top five pick if he went back and, and drafted the draft. Like obviously he's nowhere near a number one. He ain't got no dog. He ain't got no heart. But the guy is probably going to be a starter and average 20 points for a majority of his career. Uh, Lonzo has improved every single year. And availability is a problem, but has improved every single year. And it's probably going to be a starting point guard for a majority of his career. For me, it's like I don't think someone with that resume is a bust. I just think that they underperformed from where they were selected. They were brought in with too much hype and just fell short but i understand my bad my question for you ace is can you be a bus that can still play in the league because i call this the uh the kwame brown perspective (laughs) when he had his whole little thing that's i think still going on where he came out and was like yo they calling me a bus but I was still able to play in the league for 12 years and make X amount of million dollars. It makes people think, hmm, well, he was able to last in the league that long. He didn't flame out like other adversaries before him. So is he really a bust if he has a long career? So my question to you is, can you be a bust but still have a lengthy NBA career full of levels of productivity? It just isn't on all-star franchise caliber levels you could just be a quality role player or a solid uh piece of the puzzle for an nba team i think absolutely you could definitely be a bus and still be in the league just understand that you're not who you thought you were (laughs) it just didn't it didn't pan out how everybody thought it would but um but that i guess that is where you get your role guys from. That's where you get, you know, your your three and D's and stuff like that. For those guys that weren't, you know, 
highly touted coming out of college or high school or overseas, wherever they came from. So, yeah, to answer your question, man, definitely. Um, you can still mean something to the league. As using Kwame Brown as your analogy, though, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> there was no production that's, there. That's he a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> I went there because I remember through that time he was really telling his stand base. I wasn't a bust because I played in the year for 14 years and made this amount of money. I thought that was stupid. But yeah. by saying all that, it made me realize, well, bro, there's plenty of guys in the league who were drafted high that never lived up to the expectations, but they have long careers and they find a way to stay around because – Let's be honest. Um, the average NBA player is better than the average human being that plays basketball at the rec. All right. And the reason why they are is because they have a skill set that's still at an elite artistry level. And for you to be able to stick around, it does it make a team being able to do the little things. But it can also mean being able to do those little things at a high level that may not encompass the expectation you may have had as a lottery pick. But it does supply a need and a purpose for a variety of organizations across the NBA landscape. So I think that's our little perspective on what it means to be a bust or what is a bust. To wrap up this segment, the LA Lakers, can they survive the play-in? Uh, me and Clem have had a very <laughs> hilarious back and forth on this perspective throughout the group chat. He believes in the Lakers. I don't. But before we start, I think we all can come clean and agree that we all underestimated how trash this Laker team was going to be. I think we realized Westbrook wasn't going to work. We just didn't expect him to not work so bad that they were 11 games under 500. But here we are. They haven't worked. However, the expectation is that Anthony Davis could return in April. They have a gauntlet of a schedule that comes up. The San Antonio Spurs are, I think, two games behind them. Spurs ain't that much better either, but they got a younger squad. DeJounte Murray's having a career year. Their array of guards, lottery selections are starting to showcase promise. So they could be nipping at the heels. They got important games coming up. The biggest one is against the Pelicans, who are a game. Well, they have the same record, but the Pelicans are above them in the playing standings. Clem, do you believe the Lakers can get it done? They can make it in the play-in, <clears throat> excuse me, and make it out of it. And if so, why do you have hope? Yes, I believe. I believe that, look, man, I have fallen victim to the LeBron James is getting old trap too many damn times. I know we was talking about Victor Oladipo earlier. I, I legit thought that that Pacers team was going to beat the Cavs. I was dead wrong. I thought the Raptors with Kyle Lowry and, and DeRozan well, I, I thought those two years, I thought they were going to beat them, and I was wrong. I even thought one of the two years when Paul George was with Indiana that they were going to beat them, and I was wrong. Now, obviously, that was a much younger LeBron James. But yet and still, I just cannot fathom LeBron James losing two games in a row with all the weight on him with AD healthy. Now, let me preface it by saying that. If AD is healthy, I think they will make the playoffs because I think that Brown will do whatever he got to do to get the, he going to score 50 two nights in a row if he got to, to get them to the playoffs. Now, once they get to the playoffs, they ain't making out the first round. That's a fact. 
That's a fact. But if AD is healthy, which I think, you know, they're going to push him to play, I think they will get out of the play-in and get the either seventh or eighth seed. I just – or eighth seed is the only option at this point. But I just can't see LeBron losing like this. I know his his legacy is sealed, but, damn, it would just be a bad look, especially, like, Kobe got to the final – or not finals. Kobe got to the playoffs twice with Kwame Brown and Luke Walton and Smush Parker. How the hell you can't make the play-in or win the play-in and you got Anthony Davis? I mean, for at least – a good part of the season. Like, I mean, just come on, man. Like, and they got the seven seed twice, let alone, but I just, I just can't see it happening. So I, I just got to say, yes, I have to say yes. Ace, you've been a lot more realistic than Clem on this topic. You've given up hope on the Lakers for a while. Are you buying the sauce that Clem is selling or are you going to continue to pack up the bags and just be like, look, man, if we do make it to the play and we're getting smashed by whoever we play. Excuse me. Um, I'm a sample of sauce. I'm, I'm, I'm going to see what it tastes like. Yes, sir. Chef Clip in the house. <laughs> Shout out to the Alfredo. Um, <laughs> but nah, man. Um, the, so it's weird. Something is they they've been a bit upbeat in their gameplay lately. Um, I you notice it kind of with Westbrook. You got some you know stand up play from DJ Augustine. Um, Gabriel stepped up. If we can just be, well, I can't sound like a fan right now. They could just be healthy. Um, then I think yeah, but the case is. Would AD coming back be a case of too little, too late? Because we all know when it starts creeping up on time for him to come back, like I discussed in the chat, he was coming back forever before he finally came back just to get hurt again. So it's always like a two-week delay on when you finally can get him. And by then, April play-in is over with, and before you know it, we done fell out. So, I mean, they done fell out. So. That, that's where I stand where that, that is concerned. I do believe that if they can keep the upbeat play and have some healthy some healthy key players back in, we can make a push, but time will tell. Well, hold yeah. on, hold on. I, okay, okay. I, you, you, you know, I always tease Kambui about playing on the fence, jumping back and forth. That sounded like a real fence answer right there. I, I don't know about you, Cam, but I didn't get a definitive. Was it on yes the fence? No. Yeah, I didn't get a yes or no. Like I, I don't know. Like was that? Cam, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't hear a yes or a no. I just felt like it was a fan holding out hope. I don't think he was Man. on the fence. I think he was just like they've been playing better lately. Maybe there's a chance. Um, I've been on the bandwagon of it's over <laughs> for the Lakers for the past two months, and I think it's over. Because out of everybody in the plan that they would have to verse against, the Clippers are the team that's falling off a little bit, but I don't think they'll fall off enough for the Lakers to escape having to play the Pelicans. And the way they're ranked, they're 10th. So I don't expect the LA Lakers to rise up to eighth because I think they'll lose games throughout the final stretch. So that means they need to, to win to stay alive because if they lose, they're going home. And that Pelicans team, when Ingram is on the floor, they just better than the Lakers, even if AD's out there or not. 
My problem with the Lakers has been all year. They don't defend anybody, and they're very inconsistent at shooting the basketball. That's it. LeBron, as great as he's been as a talent, he can no longer elevate the nursery home <laughs> that he has <laughs> of a team. All right, he can't do it. He can't do it anymore. And I think that's why, in my opinion, last year I was ahead of the curve. Need my respect. That's why I didn't have him in my top five coming into the year. Um, I, I still thought he was a top 10 player. And I think he's a top 10 player just based upon individually. He still got it. But he's no longer a top five guy that can elevate his team to postseason success like we've seen with Yoke, like we've seen with KD, like we've seen with Embiid, like we've seen with Giannis. He just doesn't have it. And so I think... Like Ace has said, the promising thing is the Lakers have improved. Their play has been spirited. You know, they beat Toronto. That's what was an impressive win. They gave Philly all they can handle without Braun. And they were actually up on the Wizards, and then they just collapsed. Porzingis just took over. But as crazy as it sounds, that's probably the best I've seen them play since maybe the middle of the year. And that only contained one win. So, look, they're not good enough. Let me tell you something. Minnesota's not a playing team to be real. They're really not, but they're going to be one because Jokic has been incredible for Denver all season. They're going to be a playing team. They is not beating Minnesota. They may have a chance to beat the Clippers because they're spiraling, but that all depends on, it sounds like Paul's going to come back. Paul George on the Clippers squad makes LA, in my opinion, on the same level as the Lakers, which means it's a coin flip. But for the Lakers to get there, they got to beat the Pelicans. I don't think they could beat them. And I think that would be it for the Lakers. And so if that's how it goes down, is this the most disappointing L.A. team in franchise history? Uh, I mean, honestly, based on expectations, yes. Because even, I mean, like Kobe's worst year was the year after Shaq. You know, he had the whole um, case going on. But the, there was no expectations for that team to be a good team. Like, everybody knew that, you know, with him absent, nothing was going to happen. And then with Shaq gone, of course. But then he came back the next two years and propelled them to at least making the playoffs, even though they didn't have a, a good, you know, surrounding team. And then obviously went to three straight finals after that and were in the playoffs basically until Kobe Bryant broke down in 2014. Um, yeah, this is probably the most disappointing. Like, and it's, it's sad, man, because honestly, y'all know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Lakers fan by Kobe's sake. Now, I, I have no more loyalty with the Lakers since LeBron has gotten there. Um, but because I represented them for so long, I just can't help but be invested a little bit. I actually am more of a Wolves fan now than I am uh, a Lakers fan. And Cam won't believe me because he thinks I hate the Wolves because I think that they might not make the play in. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think that this is the most disappointing season when you look at the tweets that happened beforehand with LeBron and telling everybody it's sleeping on him. You got Russell Westbrook, who was the triple-double king, you know, four years removed from fine, um, MVP. And you look at everywhere he's been, like he's been able to help his team get to the playoffs every year. He hasn't been able to do nothing in the first round outside of that, but he at least gets them to the playoffs, you know. 
And then you have AD who I hear people say is still a top 10 player. I just, I just, I just don't get it. I think this is another conversation we need to have is talent versus resume. Cause I think people get that mixed up all the time, but AD is a top 10 talent, but he's never, he doesn't prove that year after year. So I, I think it is the most disappointing LA team. Just looking at the expectations coming in, the availability of LeBron and AD. And then when they're together, I think they're like 500. So um, I, I have to say, Cam Bowie might have been right about LeBron not being top five. Um, just looking at the overall ability to lead a team at this point. Like, I think that's the most glaring t- thing seeing the Lakers in the 10 seed and LeBron actively playing game in and game out. So, yeah, it's disappointing. Top tier. So, Ace, my question to you is they fall out, they don't make the playoffs, and the, the worst thing that can happen is they see the Suns win a championship, somebody in their own division. Where does Los Angeles go from here? Do they blow it up? I've, I've heard different rumors. Like, obviously, you know Westbrook's not coming back. They're either going to cut him or trade him, more than likely cut him. Do you blow up the team in totality? Because let's be honest, they don't have any type of trap compensation moving forward. They're so bad this year, I don't think they have a first-round pick. Like, let's say they don't make the playoffs. They're not going to have a lottery pick to make things better. Do they blow the franchise up and build from scratch by cutting Westbrook, trading AD, and then maybe just telling LeBron, look, dog, just pick wherever you want to go to finish out the rest of your days and we'll get a haul back? Or do you run it back one more time, minus Westbrook? No, blow it up. Um, I say don't go all in on trading AD, but shopping. See what see what the streets are saying. See what's going on. See if anybody will bite at it. Have some conversations. Um, and finding, I think, what they were going after and what we thought was, because I know this was my prediction, Go, going forward, you need to find somebody like a, a solid point guard because I always felt like this was supposed to be the year that AD has his MVP moment and Brown is really just chilling into the sunset because I don't have to lead anymore. Didn't happen like that, only in a perfect world. But finding a solid point guard is should be priority number one to make Brown's job easy. Yeah, I agree. Um, look. They're in a tough spot. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not opposed to them running it back one more time, but I think they just got to be honest with themselves. And I, I was telling, you know, Ace this early in the season, AD is going to break down every year. You just hope it's not season ending. You just hope it's not time consuming. Just hope it's a little knickknack that he's maybe out for a week or so, but he is quote unquote bird bones. He, he, he's damaged goods. He's, he's always hurt. And so with that in mind, if you're going to run it back one more time, you kind of have to hope that AD can survive. But you also got to accept the fact that he may not and just hope that the team around him can make up for his absence. And to do that, like Ace said, you got to get a point guard. You got to get some depth in the front court. That's young. I think Dwight Howard, his days are they're over. Um, they had DeAndre Jordan for a little bit. His days are over. <laughs> so they got to get youth in the back end, kind of like what Phoenix did where they had Aiton, but then they got, you know, JaVale's not that young, but JaVale can still play. They got JaVale. They went out and got Bismack Beyond, but they got depth in the front court because 
even though Aiden hasn't had the injury riddle history that AD has, you just understand you need depth at all avenues on the roster to make a playoff push. The Lakers actually need it because AD can't stay healthy. But I entertain blowing it up too, where you start shipping AD because I think you can get something with AD as injury prone as AD is. I think a team like um, New York, you know, a team like a team that's desperate. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago, a team that's desperate to make a splash for a playoff push. If you can dangle AD to Chicago to get Zach Levine and maybe Ayo DeSumo and a first-round pick back, I, that, that sounds too crazy because AD always be hurt. But if you can get that back, now you're working with something. But it all really depends on LeBron James and clutch sports. Are they trying to mess with a retool Lakers squad that doesn't contain a clutch client AD? Or are they want to run it back one more time? Because all we've been hearing lately, I know Deshaun tried to slide it through the group chat, was LeBron actually did want DeRozan. It's just it's just um, Rob Polinka didn't want to give DeRozan the years that Chicago did. My only issue with that is, okay, cool, LeBron, why did you turn around and sign Westbrook? <laughs> why did you think that was a better idea? So it's clear LeBron doesn't have to control of the Los Angeles Lakers like he's had in other franchises. Let's be honest, he never really had control in Miami either with Pat Riley. He had his most supreme control with Cleveland. So if he's not willing to mess with a retool Lakers squad, you may have to consider trading him as well. But I think Lakers fans just got to accept that, look, you did win a championship. I think they need to focus on the way Toronto did it with Kawhi. When they won a championship with Kawhi and Kawhi left, they kind of retooled. And yeah, they had a year the next year where they sucked, but it allowed them to get into the lottery, get Scotty Barnes, and now they're a playoff team with a much brighter future down the pipeline because you got a foundational piece you can build around once the remains of your championship team is gone. I think the Lakers need to take that uh, into consideration or take the Boston Celtics perspective in consideration when they had a big three, shelf them off, get some picks, and rebuild because there's a ton of team, ton of fans in LA that like the Lakers. All right, they like Clem. They like the Lakers because of Cole. They're not just loyal to the Lakers because of LeBron or AD. They like the Lakers, and I think they'd appreciate rebuilding to a promising future because they won a championship and they're about maintaining high levels of success long term. And I think LA got to look towards that as a possibility. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see AD going to Chicago uh, just because that's where he's from. But I don't I think his career has written itself at this point. I don't think we're going to see anything different. And I mean, the Levine for I can already see it like Brown hyped everything, though. So it's like the Levine for AD trade could look great on paper, but Levine's mm-hmm. best with the ball in his hand. So it's like. I think LeBron has this idea of like, I, I can change my game to play with anyone, but that's just not who he is. Like everyone who plays with him has to adapt to him. He's the, he's like the offense. So, and then even bringing in somebody like Levine, who's not a good defender either. And who's had knee problems in the past and is having knee problems now who might require, you know, minor surgery, but you know, anytime somebody goes inside your body, it's not that minor. Um, so 
I don't know, man. I, I don't think they'll blow it up just because of respect for LeBron James. And, you know, when you want to attract stars down the line, you want to make sure that you have him going out with a nice farewell, especially the fact that he wants to be in L.A. Um, I don't think he'll that'll happen. But. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Honestly, I, I don't know after this season, but they're going to make the play in, though. So they're going to they win the play. in. They're getting in the playoffs. But then they're going to get whooped in the first round. They're going to make the play in. That's all that matters. Shaq claims they could beat the Suns in the first round. I don't know what he's smoking, but that ain't happening. Yeah. Um, that ain't happening at all. Maybe it's the fandom talking. Uh, like you said, I think the biggest misconception about LeBron is he makes everyone better. In reality, the only people that he makes better is shooters and rim runners. That's it. He got Tristan oh, Thompson look. paid. He got J.R. Smith paid. He got Kyle Corver paid. But Kyrie, he didn't really make Kyrie better. I mean, he put – now, his talent alone got Kyrie to showcase his skill set on a playoff stage, so that's great to see. Um, did he really make AD better? To be honest, not really. I mean, AD just got to showcase his dominant skill set in a heavy, lengthy postseason setting. So, you know, playing with LeBron allows you to have the spotlight to showcase your skill set in games that matter in April, May, and June. But if you're not a shooter or a rim runner, he just honestly doesn't make you that much better. And I agree with what Clem says. He doesn't really – he can't really change his ways. He's like – he's an old dog. You can't teach him new tricks. He could say all like the right Russ. things. Right, like Russ. He could say all the right things. Like, I would like to do this. I would like to do that. But you could tell he's at his best with the ball in his hands. And he could still play at an elite level to where he's going to be the all-time leading scorer. He's going to pat the stats up to the greatest. But he's just going to finish not competing with nothing. Now, I'm going to go on a limb and say this. I do not think LeBron James will win another championship the rest of his career. I think this is it. I mean, I think this is what he is at this point. Hall of Fame career, top five player of all time. But if we're expecting him to win another championship, I don't see it. Oh, he said top three. I mean, I mean, top five. I mean, he's to me personally. Where, where is he? Where is he? Uh, he's like four in my book, personally. Like, what? Yeah, Don't tell me you got magic ahead of him. Uh, I do have magic ahead of him. All right, that's a different conversation for right, that's a different conversation. I see why you don't think Kobe's the, the best Laker. We ain't I do. get into that. I mean, I, look, this is this validity too. So we, we know Jordan one. All right, we know Kareem two. The reason why I got Magic three is, I mean, Magic got five rings. It was the best point guard of his era. Like, and he led the renaissance in the 80s. Like, it's like if LeBron had the same amount of rings as Magic, I think it was something we could talk about for sure. Bro, but Steve, we're not, we're not getting, we I, ain't I gotta, gonna, go, we ain't gonna go. I gotta go. We, we ain't gonna go there. <laughs> Let me just leave all this though, since we talk about the legacy. I think it's interesting that. Uh, when we talk about the best duos ever or best co-stars, no one ever says Magic or Kareem was a co-star. But when we compare them to other great duos, there's always a Superman and Batman, even though one of them did not win finals MVP every single mm-hmm. year. But nevertheless, another conversation for another day. I think once Magic, um, the people who are not in the media or that in the media that weren't born around that era, I think the perspective on magic will change, but that's me. Unpopular. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But we're going to wrap up episode 47. Always great to have Clement Ace on the talk basketball. This episode will drop on a Saturday on a Saturday. So stay tuned. Um, Before I let you guys go, 
which y'all looking forward to as we head to the playoffs and what's the expectations? Go first, hey. Um, I'm expecting, anticipating a Grizzlies Conference Finals appearance. Join um, the club. I'm saying, bro. Look, I think the Nets will shock the East. You said they're coming out the East. I think they're gonna shock the East. I'm not saying they're gonna come out. I'm saying they're gonna make hey, a deep I run. Take Ace. Deeper run than expected. So what, what? What round is that? I think with the mandate falling in Kyrie's favor, like it's rumored to be. They could pop up in the conference too. So it's going to the finals. Okay. Okay. If they draw hey, Miami, I can see. I respect it for the take. Sure. I always respect the hot take. Yeah. If they could draw Miami in the first round, I could see it. They could go on a run. Kalim, expectations, what you can't wait to see in the postseason. Oh, man. I, obviously, I said that I think Milwaukee and Suns will face off again. And I think Giannis will get his second finals MVP in a row. But what I'm most excited to see in the Eastern Conference, I really want to see um, who ends up with Brooklyn. I think that first round series is going to be crazy. And I want to see in the Western Conference, like, I want to see what Memphis do. Because y'all, look, man, y'all... I, I, I'm a little more skeptical than, than everybody else, obviously, because they haven't been there before. They haven't won. They haven't played with this much pressure on them. Like, they've been the underdogs their entire careers. Now, being the two seed, being the – like, at this point, if you lose in the first round, it's looking like you were hyped. And then that changes the whole trajectory for next year. You got to come in and be the team who, like, that's their ceiling. Like, everybody's going to expect them to be two or higher next year. So right now, they have no pressure. But once the playoff starts and they're playing a veteran team, like, if they, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, the Lakers, I don't think they can beat them. But if they play, if they lose in the first round, man, it's it's not going to be pretty. But I, I really think that Ja's going to get, put on an island, and we'll see what this injury, how it affects him, but I think they're going to force Bane and, and JJ, who have been playing good and who have improved. I got to give them their props. Bane went for 30 again last night, like the boys hooping, and JJ is on his way to being a top-tier defensive player. I just don't think this year, I think next year they're definitely going to get out the first round. I just think this year they're going to take somebody to six or seven games, and then they're going to lose, but we'll see. We'll see. As the Memphis Grizzlies' biggest supporter since early on in the year, they got what it takes to make it to the conference finals. The, the aspect of experience, I think, is overrated because it's really about matchups and who's hot, who's got rhythm, your team makeup. In my opinion, they're the second deepest team in basketball. All right. Maybe, maybe top three. I know it's Milwaukee, it's Phoenix, it's them. Um, they're the second highest scoring team in the league. They play defense to get after you. They're more than just Ja. And they're led by a phenomenal coach in Taylor Jenkins. In the first round, they probably they're probably gonna match up with Minnesota. They could beat them. Second round, maybe you match up against I don't know Golden State. Maybe it might be Denver. It depends on what Golden State we're getting in the first round. 
but they do have what it takes to make it to the conference finals. And honestly, if they don't get there, I don't think it's going to be because of the moment. It may just because of it may be because of Jai. Is Jai healthy? If, if Jai is healthy, is he an efficient player? Is he going to make the right plays? I think that's what it's going to come down to. And then in the East, like A said, <clears throat> really with the Nets, who are they going to play in the play in? If you play Toronto, Kyrie can't play in that game because the 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 Vax mandate is still in effect in Canada. But currently, Cleveland and Toronto are tied for the six. If they wind up and play Cleveland in the play-in to decide who can be the seventh seed, I got Brooklyn making it out there, which means maybe they match up against Miami. Maybe they match up against Philly. I think those two matchups are winnable. If they got a matchup against Milwaukee in round one or Boston, I think they're going home. And I, and I, I don't think those are good matchups for them. But if they're able to draw Philly or the Heat, they got a chance to get out and survive. And so I can't really wait for the playoffs, man. It's coming. Um, Single-digit games for everybody involved moving forward. It's going to be phenomenal basketball to watch. Shout out St. Peter's, too. They just made history. Hey. Oh, they won? They won. St. Peter's won. That's good Damn. for them, bro. First 15 okay. seed to make the Elite Eight. Yep. My bracket destroyed anyway. But, hey, yeah. rocket <laughs> rock with St. <laughs> Peter's on that one. That's big time. But, um, hey, man, I'll be back with you guys next week. This is a good listen, man. Tune in. Yes. All right, everybody. Peace. All right.